Talk about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way it might be really good. Wow. Welcome to It's Good Except It Sucks, a movie by movie and television series by television series hurtled through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time we're stepping outside the Marvel Cinematic Universe and into the multiverse for a look at Silver Surfer, an animated series first seen on Fox Kids in February 1998. Technically, this places it somewhere between Mariah Stokes attending the National Horse Show at Madison Square Garden, a wizard discovering his abilities, and, you guessed it, there's absolutely no crossover with either of them. I'm Tim Worthington, and we'll be finding out what I thought of Silver Surfer shortly. Meanwhile, joining me to give his thoughts on Silver Surfer is podcaster Al Kennedy. Al, where can people find you? I can normally be found on Twitter at House2Astonish, which is also the name of one of the podcasts which I do, which is a comic book news and reviews show, which can be found at HouseToAstonish.com. I also am the host of Desert Island Discworld, which is half interview podcast, half book group, which is over at DesertIslandDiscworld.com. And I'm the host of Shelf Dust Presents The War Effort, which is a podcast about the Marvel series Secret Wars from 1984, which you can find over at Shelf Dust. Well, I'm really really looking forward to that and it may have some impact on something I'm about to ask you in a minute but before we get to that Al what happened to Silver Surfer? He's a man of constant sorrow. Norin Rad was his name and he was a bloke who lived on this planet Zen La and he didn't seem to have done very much that was fun at all. There was a lot <laughs> of standing around and portentous staring into the distance but then one day Galactus turned up to eat his planet and in order to save his planet from being eaten he made a deal whereby he would become Galactus's Herald. Galactus gave him the power cosmic and an extremely swish chrome makeover and a surfboard which could carry him through space and what he did was fly around finding other places for Galactus to eat. A bit of a, a sad old life really. Well that does bring me neatly into my next question which is Al, how much did you know about the Silver Surfer before you saw this? I mean loads but I mean that's just because I'm a massive dork really. <laughs> yeah no I really love the Silver Surfer he's one of my favourite Marvel characters one of the first comics I ever got when I was, gosh, a little bit of it, 12, was an issue of Silver Surfer, which was a crossover with the Infinity Gauntlet storyline. And it was at a time when a lot of American comics would come over in kind of job lots, effectively, and you would go into newsagents, like UK newsagents, and they would have just a stack of Marvel and DC comics with a great big sticker on the front that showed it was distributed by Comag. This issue of Silver Surfer was one of the first ones I ever got, and it had Silver Surfer wandering off in the middle of a speech being given by Adam Warlock. <laughs> I can sympathise. Because he was bored. Literally it happens between speech balloons in one issue of Infinity Gauntlet. Silver Surfer walks out of the room, walks outside, finds that humanity having slightly lost it because Thanos has disappeared half of the universe. The rhino, the Spider-Man villain, has let a bunch of animals out of the zoo and Silver Surfer has to kind of remonstrate with him and ask him, please, can you put the animals back in the cages? And Rhino tries to pick a fight with him. And basically a lot of it is the rhino 
know, knocking the Silver Surfer around while the Silver Surfer asks him very politely to stop <laughs> because in a minute he's going to have to do something about it. And then eventually Silver Surfer just gets incredibly fed up and he's like, right, enough, and grabs the rhino by the horn and that's the, that's the end of the rhino's rampage he helps the rhino put the animals back in the cages because the rhino notices that actually it's not a good idea for lions and stuff to be wandering around new york and then silver surfer wanders back into the room where adam warlock is still giving his speech <laughs> about the threat that is posed by thanos well i've got quite a similar story about when i first saw him although my response was kind of slightly different because it was in i've actually still got this i've got this in front of me now marvel presents the superheroes annual which is dated 1979 so i was a bit young to be given this looking at the contents because it's basically mm-hmm. three kind of stories very much from what's called the bronze age of comics when i mean i have mentioned that here a couple of times if anyone who doesn't know the comic code was relaxed in the early 70s and marvel went out of their way to experiment with sort of darker deeper storylines while still trying to keep them suitable for kids relatively but in this it's got a Thor story where he actually goes to basically goes to hell to try and rescue Odin from Hela and it's got a really bleak ending where he finds a grey-haired old man who is just another grey-haired old man and not Odin and he basically <laughs> he's beating his hammer saying it was all for naught naught I say it's got an amazing Submariner one where he encounters I mean people want to draw their own conclusions with certain things that have been happening culturally and politically in the UK in the last couple of years but he stumbles across a boat load of stranded mariners who've been protected from aging by some mysterious mists and tiger shark convinces them that they're immortal and if they follow him they'll conquer the world and of course they then leave i see i always had the problem with the way this worked they all immediately their age catches up with them now it should just go from the point they were at surely but it's also got the thing of two u-boat captains basically saying my god look at us we're in our 40s <laughs> I mean, it's a really poignant tale if you ignore those details but it's got an amazing silver surface story gather ye witches where it's a kind of coven of uk based satanists who talk in that very marvel london way from the early 70s <laughs> where i can't remember how but they come across the silver surfer on one of his visits to earth and sort of render him unconscious try to use the power cosmic to summon i can't remember which sort of demonic entity it is but they end up summoning the abomination instead who basically says hooray <laughs> now it's time to smash the city and obviously the silver surfer fights him but my problem with it was that there's that great storyline there's amazing fights with the abomination in between there are lots of depictions of him flying through space which looks amazing all that seems to happen is every three panels he does that sad face he does and says ah zen la my beloved shalabal when will i return it kind of undermines him as a character bit obviously later on i saw the original galactus trilogy as you say the infinity god that he plays a major part in it's actually him isn't it who crashes through the sanctum santorum and says thanos is coming rather than bruce banner but obviously as we'll come back to they didn't have the rights to the silver surfer but this animation i'd not really seen much of before because it wasn't really shown very widely over here i really enjoyed it it's got a very distinctive style in a way that a lot of the other marvel cartoons from the 90s are remembered as having a specific kind of shared style like the x-men animated series and the spider-man animated series are very similar in terms of their animated style but then once the x-men animated series had wrapped up the next major thing really that marvel did was this silver surfer cartoon and it was a complete departure because they actually wanted to make the animation look as close as possible to the style of jack kirby the silver surfer's creator but in doing so they also thought well actually what 
can we do to make it a little bit more different and a bit more kind of modern, you know, quote unquote. And so what they did was this mixture of translating Jack Kirby directly onto the screen and kind of proto-CGI, which was unbelievable to see. Like, it was an incredible visual thing. It looks amazing, doesn't it? But that is a problem now in that I'm sure it all looked fine on, you know, standard def and CRT back in the late 90s. But mm-hmm. now the computer animation still looks amazing. That was my first thought when I first started watching the first episode was, wow. But the animation itself sometimes looks a little rushed and cheap. And the leap between the two is really jarring sometimes. Yeah, definitely. And the one thing that they do with it which I really like is that they have a very a thick line style like a very thickly outlined characters and backgrounds and so on but there are definitely some episodes where you can know, think did you have to do this over the weekend <laughs> you know there's an episode about halfway through the run where beta ray bills people turn up they call them something like the winners or something like that instead of the corbinites i mean if you nowadays you call an alien race corbinites and you're asking for trouble <laughs> frankly but you know back then that was the thing But obviously because they can't tie it in with Thor, because they couldn't put Thor in the cartoon, they had to completely divorce Betray Bill from his previous background and create a whole new one for him. But that episode looks very rushed and the animation looks noticeably worse than some of the other episodes. Particularly some of the kind of key episodes. Like I think they spent a lot more time doing things like the return to Zen La and things like that. And there's another episode where it wasn't a bad episode, but I thought this was done incredibly incredibly cheaply which was to get him out of the way it's an episode with adam warlock being a lot more likable than he usually is in the comics but the problem (laughs) is he's trapped in a time loop so a there's an excuse to just repeat a lot of the footage a lot but there's a bit in that where the silver surfer thinks he's returned to zenla and he hasn't but there is a voice in the background of crowds who's just repeated say norim rad just repeatedly, <laughs> almost like it's on a loop. It reminded me, if you know the Simpsons, when in Camp Krusty, where they got the video that's overdubbed with the company to say, Mr. Black, just <laughs> put me in mind of that. And it wasn't a bad episode, but I did think there's some severe book balancing going on there. Yes, definitely. Now a new power has entered the sector. A power so great that it makes everything else in the universe pale. Galactus, an immutable force as old as time. Galactus possesses incalculable knowledge and strength. Like a shark gliding through an intergalactic sea, Galactus uses his knowledge for only one thing, to find planets whose cores contain the nutrients that will enable him to survive. So great are his needs that he cares not for any consequence save his own nourishment. And after he is fed, shark that he is... All Galactus can do is move on. I am the Watcher. It is my task to note all events of significance in this part of the cosmos. Only to note them and never interfere. One thing to really mention is I was surprised by the absolute depth they went to with the kind of outer space cosmic characters in this because there's all kinds of people like Nebula's in it, Drax, I mean they change some of the bit. For example, they make Mentor into Thanos' brother rather than his father for some reason, but you've also got like Pip the Troll, you've got the Frankie Ray version of Nova, as you say, Beta Ray Bill, Ego the Living Planet, the Kree and the Skrull, and Gamora, but they call her Gamora, which is really <laughs> it's weird. Very funny. It's it's like the first time I ever saw any.
any kind of Marvel cartoons or anything that had Magneto in. And I had never, ever called him Magneto in my head. He was always Magneto <laughs> because, like, he doesn't have a power, like, you know, he doesn't have the power of magnets. He's got power of magnets, therefore, Magneto. It does make him sound a bit Australian. I think, oh, there's old Magneto over there. <laughs> but yeah, the thing with Mentor being Thanos's brother instead of his father, the story behind that is genuinely, I think, hilarious, which was that Larry Brody, who's the showrunner, apparently, according to, to him in an interview that I found with him online, it wasn't meant to be that he was the brother. It was meant to be that he was the father. It was literally just a typo and they didn't notice until after the episodes had been recorded and so they were stuck with it. That might explain why Star Fox isn't in it because he's conspicuous by his absence as are Star-Lord and Rocket and Groot come mm. to think of it. But like I say, nearly everyone is on board even though they have kind of, because obviously like you say, Thor couldn't appear in it, the Fantastic Four had their own cartoon and they kind of changed the backstory a bit so that, isn't it that obviously he becomes the herald to save Zenlar, but Galactus then wipes his memory of Zenlar to make <laughs> make him better at finding planets for him to eat. Yeah, Galactus in this certainly he basically is like, well, we're not going to let you know where Zenlar is. Don't look behind you. Don't look behind you. No, uh, <laughs> go in this direction. This is actually <laughs> where he says, ooh, what about that planet, Galactus? It looks tasty. He says, no, no, no. I made a promise to an honourable <laughs> man a long time ago. And like, it's about three minutes. <laughs> Yeah, but he got the full Ulysses 31 style, the way back to Zenla has been wiped from my memory kind of thing. And then he eventually gets the sack from Galactus because he saves Earth. And obviously because the Fantastic Four can't be in this cartoon, he just does it off his own bat because Earth reminds him of Zen La. In the comics, he gets kind of exiled to Earth and does a whole kind of early John Pertwee Doctor Who thing where he just hangs around on Earth for a while before he eventually gets to go off and do more space stuff. And we should really say that. I mean, I know we've been having a few very good jokes at its expense, but it's actually for a children's series. A, it's got a running storyline, even though the episodes do stand alone. And B... It's got a very bleak tone. It's very adult for something that was aimed at children. It covers, you know, mm. not just environmental concerns, but things like imperialism, slavery, pacifism. There's the whole thing about Thanos is, if you don't count Galactus, the primary antagonist. Thanos actually goes mad, like properly mad, pitiably mad with his ambitions over the series, mm. even if they do rename a certain character as Lady Chaos, so as not to frighten <laughs> the children. Because it can't get past Fox's standards and practices department. But it really is very, very, you know, so much more grim than... Than I was expecting. Yeah, and it has this amazing ending to this first seat. Well, to this only season, because the episode was on broadcast. It was called "The End of Eternity," and it ends with you know spoilers. It ends with the Silver Surfer apparently dying, and a bunch of intergalactic big knobs standing about saying that it's a bleak scenario. The reason why that happens is that they were meant to have been doing a second series. They get renewed. They were eight episodes, I think, had been written by the time the cancel order came down and it was purely because the Marvel bankruptcy happened and there was huge dispute between Marvel and Saban Entertainment who were the people who were making the actual cartoon and as a result of that the show got cancelled out from underneath them and so they never got a chance to make End of Eternity Part 2 but if you go and watch it now on Disney Plus the episode has been retitled as The End of Eternity Part 1 which is hilarious given that there is no Part 2 and will never be <laughs> Well it's not impossible given they're doing the unmade season of the X-Men animation on Disney Plus now. 
that they might come back to this. That would be interesting if they went back. I think if they did that, they would definitely have to replicate the authentic 1998 CGI. If it looks too good, like, no, no, make it look more like Wing Commander. And I want that jarring jump between the drawn animation as well. That has to to be that level of continuity, I think. (laughs) But mentioning that, as you say, it does really replicate the look of the Jack Kirby strips. But also, there are a lot of direct references to, like, the golden age of sci-fi literature because there's a lot of references to Isaac Asimov stories in episode titles and in character names. Harlan Ellison wrote an episode of it. The 1990s, I think, were a bit of a weird time for Harlan Ellison. I think he was just kind of slobbing around writing episodes of anything he could get his <laughs> hands on. Have the introductions he did to the American editions of the Doctor Who novels? No. <laughs> it's basically That's amazing. I didn't genuinely... Know I think he may have been a bit drunk when he wrote them because he basically <laughs> says, I love Doctor Who and if you don't, I will fight you. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. He actually essentially says that. <laughs> that is the most Harlan Ellison way of dealing with anything. I'm going to get drunk and I'll punch you if you don't like it. Well, there's one major character in this that we've not mentioned yet. I just want to say for a second because one comment I really want to make about it is Galactus does not sound in this like he always did in my head. I always Mm. visualised him because there is something weirdly sympathetic about Galactus as a comic book character, even though, you know, he's this world-eating monster, really. You know, he talks a lot about the pain and the hunger and, you know, you mentioning Secret Wars in the intro. He begs the Beyonder to take it away from him. You know, there is that depth to it. So I always kind of heard his voice as being more, not plaintive, but you know what I mean? More pleading, more low-key. And this is just like a snarling, Entity. Yeah, Galactus should be a tragic figure. Galactus's great curse is that if he could stop doing what he's doing at all, he immediately would. But, I mean, how many stories have there been in which Galactus gets the opportunity to not have his hunger anymore? He's a force of nature. He's not a villain. And he certainly doesn't see himself as that. He just, he's not got malice behind what he's doing. He's just hungry. And so Galactus should be somebody who is essentially unknowable but who is treated with the kind of reverence that you would treat earthquakes and tidal waves whereas somebody like Thanos who is I think it's hilarious because it's the 1990s and he's evil he therefore has an English accent he is in the cartoon certainly because I know that in comics he has occasionally been treated in a more kind of nuanced way as well but in the cartoon he is much more of the straight up big bad villain than Galactus really should be but in the cartoon Galactus is pretty much as you see he's positioned as this kind of I don't want to say moustache twirling but you know it's certainly not a particularly complex character (laughs) and we're looking at a situation now where because obviously I'm going to ask you in a second what you thought of this previous attempt at I say them it's not really them but we're in the position (laughs) now where the Silver Surfer and Galactus are very likely show up in the Marvel Cinematic Universe before long Mm. I'm divided on whether I think Galactus is going to be future big bad or whether as I'm increasingly thinking is likely the Fantastic Four will come in via the multiverse and we will then see an origin film for them in which they fight Galactus I can't really decide. So it all depends on how they're introduced, how these two will come into it. But obviously, the first Fantastic Four film, if you don't count the Roger Corman one, wasn't great, wasn't bad either. I have many thoughts on why it wasn't right. One of them being, I don't think it really captures the fact that they are young and they love celebrity, which, you know, isn't Mm -hmm. really captured in that film. But the second one, what did you actually make of it? Because I... 
kind of thought both the Silver Surfer and Galactus should have sued. <laughs> yeah, well, certainly Galactus should have. Galactus is just, in that, he's he's just a bit of bad weather. <laughs> He's not anything, really. He's just static interference. If they're doing Silver Surfer again now, I think they could go a lot worse than getting Doug Jones back in to play the character again, but this time let him actually voice the character apart from anything else. Because in his role as Saru on Star Trek Discovery, he is fantastic in that kind of space knife that Lauren Rad is. Having him do the full character, I think, would be tremendous. I mean, there's all this talk about, oh, well, Vin Diesel will do it or something. It's like, just How many roles is Vin Diesel away. being lined up for? Because there's also the very credible rumour that he's going to be Black Bolt in the humans going mm. forward. He's obviously still doing Groot. Is he going to play everyone eventually? I think he's only allowed to play characters who have a maximum of three words at their disposal. <laughs> so long as you don't have Vin Diesel actually saying much you can have him be basically everybody he just needs to go ah my beloved Shalabal every so often <laughs> not sorted but I didn't like the effect they used for the Silver Surfer in that it was a bit kind of we found the button that does this <laughs> it reminded me a bit of the kind of tech demos that you would get if you bought a new computer in the 90s <laughs> you know there'd be a video on there of like a solid metal ball that you know turned into a pool of liquid or something like that and yet really I honestly think somebody covered in metallic paint and treated a bit given the way effects were that would have worked better because that's what the Silver Surfer is he is just literally a humanoid who now happens to be silver yeah he's just a dude that's been chromed and that's it <laughs> he's like a special limited edition variant of a human this shiny cover version <laughs> Very apt for comics, really. Well, the other major character that appears in this, and actually, as is going to become very interesting, slightly interferes in the storyline sometimes, is The Watcher. Now, Mm. obviously, we've recently had What If within the MCU. And given that, you know, there is a lot of evidence that they've looked at previous sensitive Marvel properties and thought, what did we like about X and Y? That's particularly evident in Spider-Man No Way Home, where they, you know, reuse those definitive versions of those villains rather than have to recast them. I am absolutely certain that they watched this and thought, do you know what? They got the Watcher right in this. Let's more or less do our own take on that because I think the similarities, given that the Watcher in either isn't strictly the same as the comic iteration, I Mm -hmm. think they've Mm -hmm. really, really, there's a direct line here, I think. I think that's right. I mean, there's a few things in this, I think, where you can draw a parallel between the sort of original, I don't want to say Marvel Cosmic, because when the Silver Surfer was created, obviously it was wasn't part of any kind of Marvel cosmic push that wouldn't come until the 70s but the version of big space stuff or extra dimensional stuff that turns up in the Stanley and Jack Kirby Fantastic Four run is something which translates so neatly onto this cartoon but then when you see things like Rise of Silver Surfer and so on where it almost feels like they were a bit embarrassed about the fact that you know Galactus is a giant dude with a massive purple helmet with antlers and the purple skirt to remind him of his time from when he was Wimbledon ladies champion he's turned into this amorphous cloud in that film but then going forward I think that they may actually come back to a more kind of traditional version of Galactus and a more traditional version of Silver Surfer and I think that part of that will have been demonstrated to them the fact you can do that properly will have been demonstrated to them by this cartoon because Galactus the way that he is portrayed in this part of that being the fact that he is a fully CG character 
is astonishing. Like he's so imposing and he, he's a massive deal whenever he turns up. And it works really, really well. And I think that you see that when you see Jeffrey Wright's Uatu, or you see that when you see characters like Gamora even, where I know that she doesn't have, you know, the yellow eye diamonds and all that kind of stuff, but you know, Zoe Saldana's version of Gamora is still a very close fit to the original Gamora of the comics. And I think that the fact that they know that it can be done is great. And the fact that they have this faith in themselves, really. You know, you don't look at 70 years of comics and go, actually, I think probably those are a bit rubbish. Let's do something else. You look at those comics and you go, something here really, really works. And when you've got the opportunity to translate Jack Kirby onto the big screen, you take that opportunity and you know, say what you will about Eternals. I know some people loved it, some people hated it, but when they were doing the Celestials, they really went for it in terms of scale. And I think that that's something that we'll see again with Galactus when they eventually get around to doing him in the MCU proper. Okay, so there's only one thing left for me to ask now, and I've really, really had to stretch for this one. Al, Uatu the Watcher was played by Colin Fox in Silver Surfer and Jeffrey Wright in What If? So, in voice terms, who was best? <laughs> I think Jeffrey Wright is... He's great in everything he's in. So if it weren't Jeffrey Wright, I would be massively surprised. <laughs> I think I entirely agree with that. Al, thank you, and Excelsior. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this, don't forget you can find more editions of It's Good Except It Sucks and plenty more besides, including details of my book Can't Help Thinking About Me, at timworthington.org.